Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Strange Pathways. I'm your host, Scott Mort. little business right off the top. I will be at Squonkapalooza in Johnstown, August 26th, 2023. Whether I actually have a vendor's booth or if I just go as a visitor, uh, that still remains up in the air. But I will be there. I will make an appearance at some point. Uh, just even as a visitor, if anybody would like to meet up, you know, please, please, uh, message me at strangepathwaysmail at gmail.com and we'll figure out a meetup spot. I'm not hard to find. I'm the five foot five guy who weighs 320 pounds. So pretty, pretty easy to find. What is a squonk? Whenever I first heard about this, some friends from some friends messaged me and they said, are you going to the squonk? It's the saddest cryptid ever, ever. And I, I said, I've heard of Snallygasters. I've heard of Butler Gargoyles. I've, I've heard of Janosquas. I have never, ever heard of a squonk. And apparently this is this small, hairless, wart-covered, cryptid of Pennsylvania that if it cries it dissolves I was I was honestly stunned I'd never heard of this and I think once August 26th goes around I'll have a squonk themed episode but um, until that time enjoy the upcoming tales Our first tale is going to take us to Conel de la Frontera, Cadiz, Spain, September 29th, 1989. Every night between 8 and 9 p.m., five young friends from the town of Conel, they, they used to gather on the beach. Every night between 8 and 9 p.m. The reason? The lights the strange lights that are appearing in the sky. These lights had been seen for several, several nights. They would move here and there, zipping across the sky, making near-impossible turns, but doing it soundlessly. These lights had become an absolute attraction. People were coming from all over to see this strange phenomena. And it was this night, September 29th, these five young people, Isabel, her brother Lazaro, Lali Bermudez, Pedro Gonzalez, and Pedro Sanchez, they, they go out to watch the lights. This is like clockwork that they show up. 
Same thing happened in Point Pleasant, by the way. It was said during the height of high strangeness in Point Pleasant. If you wanted to see a UFO, all you needed to do was go out Wednesday at 10 p.m., look up, and you would probably see something. At about 8.45, the friends see something. It's crescent-shaped. There are red lights inside of it, and it's moving towards the village in absolute silence. Another two lights appear, one above their heads, another on the port of Cornell. All in all, this lasts no more than half an hour. At nine o'clock, about 50 meters away, out of the darkness appear the entities. Whatever it was, it was not human. The friends were hidden behind a mound and through binoculars, they saw the duo, very tall, possibly, possibly taller than two meters. They were dressed in white robes that reached all the way to the ground. They walked awkwardly. These, these entities, they have no face, no hair. And the entities know they're being watched. They move towards the group and the group frightened, runs away in terror. As the group is running, one of their number turns around and looks at the two entities. And they notice these these two creatures have stopped and their backs are turned to the young people. They're completely ignoring the young people. They themselves, these creatures, entities, beings, aliens, whatever you'd like to call them, They're watching a light in the sky. The young people stop. Now they're watching not just the light in the sky, but these beings as well. Soon, this blue sphere, small, it falls from the sky. And it stops a small distance from these entities. The entities, they sit in the sand and they start to dig. They're making this horseshoe-shaped mound. The beings lay down on the sand and this small blue sphere, they start bouncing it, tossing it to each other. They are playing on the sand. This group of five, they sit, they're watching these two, these two entities. And then they look out to the sea and they see this dark figure. It's wrapped in a kind of fog. It looks like it's floating. And even though the two beings playing in the sand, they're tall. This one is even taller than them. Black clothing, monstrous white head, two large black holes instead of eyes. As soon as the tall entity was spotted, it was gone. But now the two beings lying in the sand, they had shapeshifted. 
they now looked human. They were a man and woman with Nordic features, very tall and blonde. The man was wearing jeans and a t-shirt. The woman, very tall, not as tall, but with long, dark hair. She was wearing a long, white skirt. This group of kids, they're confused. These two beings in their new forms start to walk toward the streets of Conil. Two of the bravest of the group. They, they break from the other three young people and follow them. They stopped when they saw over the sea a sort of cloud approaching at high speeds towards them. Pedro Gonzalez looks through the binoculars and he sees the tall, black-dressed being. The, the group getting a little braver. They agree to get closer to see it better. But that being then stopped and stared at them, then turned around and got lost in the shadows. This is whenever the young people realized that because of the appearance of this being, they lost sight of the other two shapeshifters. Now, I got to give these kids props. I would have never gone back, but these, these young people continued on. They, they were waiting for the arrival of an acquaintance, one Juan Bermudez. They discussed what happened, decided we're not going to tell anybody. And that was when, at 10.30, Juan Bermudez arrived. And they told him what happened. The, they couldn't keep quiet. Juan goes, okay, let's, uh, let's go down to the beach. Let's look for evidence. They did find footprints in the sand. 45 centimeters long. 15 centimeters wide. There were other tracks, though. Four-fingered tracks. These were the tracks that headed to the village and departed from the mound. That horseshoe-shaped mound made by the two shapeshifters. In the next day or two, Spanish ufologist J.J. Benitez ends up in the town. He's heard of this story. He's heard of these lights. And he meets with the five young people. J.J. Benitez snoops around town, does a little detective work, and finds out that the two shapeshifters had rented a hotel room using the identity of Dutch engineers. Benitas and, and these kids, they see these two beings on the beach again. They follow them. These two shapeshifters, they start walking towards the water and disappeared into the sea. Benitas 
took photos of the footprint. Photos of the mound. If you'd like to see those photos, head over to the Strange Pathways Facebook page. They'll be up on our Instagram and on our Twitter. Absolutely mind-blowing case. Our next case is honestly kind of messing with my head a little bit. I would I would swear that I've talked about this before on the podcast. It's it's giving me the strongest sense of deja vu I have had in a long time. But looking through all my notes, looking through all my videos, I can't see that I've ever talked about this. I, I don't think it's any sort of Mandela effect. I think I'm just getting old. But if I have talked about this before, my apologies. But we're going to be going back to July 31st, 1968 at about 9 a.m. Plain de Cafre, La Réunion, 1968. Now, Le Plain de Cafre... This is a little tiny island, Reunion Island, just off the coast of Madagascar. It's here where we find Luce Fontaine, who is a Creole, a drunk cowboy, according to a lot of people around him. And he's also a farmer. He's married to a school teacher. He's he's about 22 years old, and he's gathering grass for his rabbits in the center of an acacia forest. This is near La Tampon, on the plain of Cafre. And this is one of the things I find interesting. It's very, very specific as to where everything is. He was there for a little while, and soon he sees... This oval-shaped object. Now, this object has a translucent center, dark blue ends, and it's hovering about four or five meters above him. It's about 25 meters away, but it's about four or five meters above him. So you figure standard person is about a meter and a half tall. So it's about six meters off the ground. This craft is about five meters across, two and a half meters high. And it is, even though it's blue and white, it's it's showing off this whitish light, like almost that ultraviolet welder's flash. And there are these large feet of metal both above and below the machine itself. In the center of the craft, behind that translucent part, 
Lucifer Fontaine sees these two humanoid beings. They're about 90 centimeters high. And they're in this kind of bumpy suit. He called them the Michelin babies. They, they reminded him of the Michelin man from the tire manufacturer. This is the part that seems really super familiar to me. Now, these little Michelin babies, 90 centimeters high, they're carrying sort of helmets, right? Partially masking their face. They're, the little Michelin babies, they're kind of messing around a little bit, and then they realize they're being looked at. And they turn their back to him, and the machine disappears. There's this flash of dazzling light, this blast of hot air, and then it just disappears. The local police, the gendarmerie, they, they interview him. Captain Leopold Legros, the director of departmental services of fire and help on Reunion Island. He's, he's got a little knowledge about nuclear power. He's got a little bit about chemistry, a little bit about biology. He, go, he goes out and he investigates himself. He, he gets Luc Fontaine's, I, I'm saying that name differently every time, Luce, Luc, Luce, Mr. Fontaine's. He gets Montaigne, uh, Fontaine's hat and trousers and tests them for radiation. It's high. Higher than it should be. He 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 tests this stuff. The radi- radioactivity, well, not dangerous. It's much higher than it should be. So, the next step, Leopold Legros goes out to the field where Fontaine was. Abnormal high radioactivity there on six specific points. It's like a three by three grid on the ground. Now, did Mr. Fontaine, Luce, did he get sick? Yes. Luce Fontaine had nosebleeds for eight days after the event. Other than that, didn't seem like there was any other health problems. But for eight days, nosebleeds. My very first thought is, is radiation exposure, does that lead to nosebleeds? And you know what? It does. Bleeding from the nose, mouths, gums, pretty much any hole in your body, any orifice, can bleed from radiation poisoning. A ufologist gets a hold of this case. Uh, J.P. Lavalgrand of Dane Denis de la Réunion. He's, he's kind of like a civilian ufologist, but he is a ufologist. He, he published a report. And then a report from Mr. Albany of the GEPA Ufology Group. 
they they all come to the same same conclusion and according to according to this in, in about a radius of about 5 meters there on grass tufts on stones they detected high levels of radiation not alarming but abnormal levels of radiation this was 10 days after the event and there was heavy rains so for them to still be able to find high levels of radiation something clicked there something happened for whatever it's worth the story ends kind of oddly right where the observation happened on the very spot of the sighting a nightclub was built it's one of the most famous nightclubs that's ever been on La Reunion and it was called the Flying Saucer Our last tale is going to take us all the way back to late 2006, just before winter break. It's a small college in rural western Pennsylvania, right where I'm sitting. Whether it's a small college here in Johnstown, or a small college someplace else, that remains to be determined. The witness has decided to stay anonymous. I don't blame them. They've decided to keep the location anonymous. Once again, I don't blame them. Not in the way our society treats people who have these kinds of experiences. At the time, our witness is a freshman in college. Now, this college that he's at, the parking lot at the edge of the campus is right up against state game land. Which, yeah, there's a finite number of colleges right next to state game land. But unless you're from Pennsylvania, I don't think you realize how much game land we have here in this state. It's, there's a lot. There's a lot. A couple of nights during the week, him and some friends would go out there and smoke weed. Now, I know a lot of people are going to go, well, they were inebriated, they were intoxicated. Look, I've been drunk. I've smoked. I've never, never hallucinated anything. Anything like this. We're not talking acid or ayahuasca or DMT. We're talking weed and booze. It's, it's the aspirin of recreational drugs. They they go out there, and they go to their usual spot. There's this clearing and a fallen log. They sit on it, and just past this, you could see from the parking lot, but just barely. Now, the witness says, look, 
This isn't the first time we've smoked. We're veterans. We're pros. We've, we've done this time after time after time. Weird stuff. The only weird thing is we get high. Nothing ever happened. So they go ahead, pack a bowl, and they have one hit each. And they just talk quietly. It's really cold out. Temperatures in the teens. It's very still. If you're not familiar with cold temperatures, those still days, it's almost like the air is denser and sound travels better. It gets very, very still. Everything's hibernating. You don't hear scurries, mice. The world slows down whenever it's that cold. The world gets very, very quiet. And there was no wind that night. The witness took, took their first hit, hands the bowl and lighter back to the friends. And he looks up to exhale. And he sees it through the smoke. There's a face in the trees. It's on the other side of the clearing, opposite the parking lot. It's just above a branch. Three fingers are wrapping around this branch. Very long, narrow thumb. It sticks out several inches past the other fingers. And each of these fingers are tipped with a pointed nail. As the, as the smoke clears, the witness gets a better look at the face. Very pale, gray skin. Bald, no eyebrows, no other hair of any kind, no ears. Big eyes, dark in color. And those eyes are catching just a little bit of the light from the parking lot. Makes them seem kind of reflective. The witness doesn't get a good look at the nose or the mouth because they're fixated on the eyes. He reaches over, taps his friend's knee. Looks over at his friend. His friend sees it. He was staring at it. It's something they both saw independently. That's a good... If you ever do ghost hunting or Bigfoot hunting, don't... Here's a pro move for you. Don't go... Hey, do you see Do you see that lady in the Victorian dress? Do you see that, that red-haired Bigfoot over there? Just say, do you see that? Let them describe it to you. Do you see that? Do you hear that? Let them verify for you. They look back at it. It's released its hand from the branch and the fingers are very long, thin. And it moves backwards out of their sight. Doesn't even make a sound. Even though there were dry leaves scattered all over the ground. There's this odd calm. 
the 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 two friends run back to the parking lot as soon as this creature is out of sight. They're so scared that that the friend doesn't even realize that he has stuffed the still smoking bowl of pot into his coat pocket and dropped the lighter. They run to the opposite side of the parking lot from the woods where there was a road, there was some car passing, some other students walking around. They finally feel safe. Now, of course, of course there's the, oh my God, did you see that? What was that? But eventually, you know, the, you start to accept, you start to accept and they, they sit down and they talk about what they saw and all the details match up perfectly. The only thing, the only point of contention was that his friend didn't even think the creature had a mouth. The next day, they go back into their spot in the woods. They find their lighter standing upright on the log. It's not on the ground. It's not on its side. uh, Something has stood it upright on the log. Something? It, It didn't fall that way. The odds of it falling that way are astronomical. Something took their lighter, sat it straight up on the log. They decide they're going to walk over to the tree where they saw this thing. They found the branch that it was holding on to. And it's about 12 feet off the ground. They can't even reach it by jumping. There's nothing around to get up there. Stumps, rocks, branches, nothing. The leaves on the ground had been disturbed all around the area. Not just tracks, but like something intentionally brushed the leaves away and then dug some holes. There was about four or six holes, six to eight inches deep, maybe two or three inches wide. Now, his friend he was with, he was a biology major. He'd been an Eagle Scout. He now works in state parks. He knew, he knew the area's wildlife. Doesn't know of anything that would disturb the ground like that. Yeah, plenty of animals dig. Groundhogs, mice, squirrels, moles. But they don't sweep an area of leaves away. Now, of course, rather wisely, they never go back there again after dark. They never see it again. Thank you once again for joining us here on Strange Pathways. As I know more about Squonkapalooza, I will let you know. That is a promise. Huge thank you going out to everybody who listens, especially Anna and CERN and and April and so many others. So, so many others. Thank you 
so, so much. Crystal, you too. Crystal, honestly, Anna and Crystal and CERN, those three, their kind words, they, they keep me going. There are days that I don't want to do this. <laughs> but quite honestly, there are days that I don't want to get up out of bed. But knowing that they enjoy it, a lot of times it keeps me going. Don't get me wrong. 90% of the time, I love doing this, but there is like a 10% of like, uh, here we go again. But so thank you, Crystal, CERN, Anna. Thank you so much. And so many others. So, so many others. If you'd like to see some photos about today's cases, Twitter, Pathways Strange, Instagram, Strange Pathways Podcast, or over on our Facebook page. If you want to, week the week through, we're going to have other cases, small little mini cases, less than a minute, over on our TikTok, Strange Pathways Podcast. They'll be up there on Instagram as well, and on our YouTube channel as shorts. I'm, I, I, I have just gotten the hang of shorts, but every once in a while, it'll tell me they're shorts, but they don't come up as shorts. So, for whatever reason, believe me, I'm trying, I'm learning. Be sure to leave us a good review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Get over to the YouTube. I'm trying to get those YouTube numbers up. Head on over to YouTube. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe, tell a friend. And hey, if you'd like to get in touch with me, whether it be to just say hi, to give me some some advice, or you know what, to tell me about something that happened to you, I will listen. Strangepathwaysmail at gmail.com. Thank you once again from the bottom of my heart. I, I care so much about each and every one of the, of the listeners. Thank you so, so much. Take care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>